0: Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Bierenbaum. I hope you enjoyed my discussion about women in business leadership in the last episode. I know I really did with a Stern professor, but I'm also beyond excited for today's guest. She's someone I've been dreaming about having on the show, let alone talking to for literally years. I've been watching her dance since I was a little girl. She also had her own interview show, which I watched religiously during the pandemic, so the stakes are very high for me. So without further ado, welcome to the show, the lovely Megan Fairchild. Before we get into everything, I want to do a little intro into who you are for any listeners who may not be familiar. Megan was born in Salt Lake City and began dancing at the age of four. After performing with Ballet West for years, she entered the prestigious School of American Ballet in New York City. There, she worked her way up through the ranks of New York City Ballet, becoming an apprentice in 2001, a member of the Corps de Ballet in 2002, a soloist in 2005, and she's now danced as a principal dancer since 2005, where she's danced roles like Swanilda, Rubies, Emerald, Stars and Stripes, Sugar Plum Fairy, Dewdrop, Odette, and originated roles in ballets by Christopher Wheeldon, Susan Stroman, and Alexei Ratmanski. In addition to her work at New York City Ballet, Megan made her Broadway debut in a show near and dear to my heart, directed and choreographed by two former guests of the pod, John Rando and Josh Burgos. The show is on the town, and she is currently pursuing or did you already get it, your MBA?
1: No, I'm still I'm still in the trenches. Well, you've
0: had a few things in your life in the meantime which we'll <laughs> yeah. discuss, but pursuing her MBA at NYU Stern, which is actually how I got connected with her. I mean, just what can't she do on that subject? She had twin babies this past year and was dancing in the fall, I believe. Despite all that, so it's just been an incredible amazing career. Is there anything major I'm missing? No. Okay. That's great. Great. Yeah, I love it. Amazing. Well, let's get into it. I like to start at the beginning, a very good place to start. I ask most of my guests a version of this question, depending on the artistic discipline that they do. So, from your childhood, I mean, you started so early, dancers it's interesting having actors versus dancers because a lot of actors sort of light bulb moments are later in life. But dancers start at like three or four. But can you imagine from your child, remember from your childhood, like an aha moment when you were like, this is what I want to do. This is for me.
1: Yeah, I was eight. And I was at the Nutcracker in the audience for the first time. And I don't think I would have been that um, engaged or feeling like it related to me, except for the fact that kids then suddenly came out on stage and did what I had already been doing for like four years. And I remember thinking, well, why is that not me? (laughs) (laughs) And, And then also just seeing them up on stage, not just in a kid's recital, but with professionals and realizing I want to be one of those professionals. And I, wow, you could do this for your living. And I already love what I'm doing it so much. So that was kind of when I really was like, ballet's the focus I want to have. And then at 12 is more of a time again when you have to be like, okay, we're going to go deep into this, or are we just going to still enjoy this for fun after school? So yeah, that was the, that was the moment. I, I feel that I remember sitting there
0: seeing it but who knows? That's you, know, maybe I just, I told you. you say 12. <laughs> is that because that's when most people go on point? Is that sort of that yeah. decision point?
1: Yeah. And, you know, as we're saying, like ballet and dance in general is something that is started super, super young and, you know, really to be super successful, you're getting into a company at 17, 18. And so that's, that's before college. That's That's something that you are really pursuing in junior high and high school. So if you miss out on those training years, you know, from like, I think ages 12 to 15, you can see if a dancer really has the capabilities to do this for a living. And if you're missing out on those years of focus and training two classes a day after school, you're, you know, you're not going to have, very rarely would you be able to make up that time and that difference. So that's really when you got to really put your nose to the grindstone.
0: I was, it's a perfect segue into my next question, which was going to be, you know, and I feel like we're going to be talking a lot about this. Your brother was, is also a ballet dancer. Was your whole life just from from that point on, ballet, or did you ha- were you able to have something of a n- normal childhood, or do you even know what that is?
1: <laughs> yeah, I never felt like I was like majorly sacrificing anything, but like I wasn't like after school going and meeting up with friends and hanging
0: out. And I guess people do that. <laughs> I wouldn't really if know either because I didn't really have that okay. normal childhood. But I, I <laughs> like, hear I mean, that's I mean, what some like, people do. <laughs> yeah, like I'd go to
1: birthday parties and stuff, and and little special events, but like I wasn't just like hanging out after school with nothing to do, I was going to dance, and I love that, and that was where my friends were. So like, it wasn't this thing that felt super disciplined, it was like, that's where my best friends were. So I was just going to, that's, that's where I found my friends. So yeah, I, uh, I've just always loved it. My mom has told me that I never once said I don't want to go to dance. I did start out with tap, and they were like, you have to do tap ballet and jazz, and so that's, that was, like, the gateway drug for me for it was to, to be a tap dancer. My mom loved, loved, loved all of, like, the Fred Astaire and to Gene Kelly it. musicals. Yeah, yeah. And always watched all of the MGM classics, like, growing up at my grandpa's house at Christmas time. So that's, like, what – that's where my mom was coming from when she dropped me off at, at dance. She's not necessarily a super-duper lover of the ballet world. And so when we went to Broadway, it was, like – her mom dreams came true because that was what she felt she could like, what really spoke to her. My dad, he's a little more classical in his taste. He he can sit and watch ballets and, you know, just Goldberg variations, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. It's like, first of all, was composed to put someone to sleep many, many years ago. So it's a little bit more Dated in its energy. And my dad, he would like love to just sit and watch that ballet. And my mom's like, I think I'll go see a movie. <laughs> Do you ever tap dance? Tonight? You know, I did a little bit in the pandemic. I have kept my adult size tap shoes. So this was the other thing you asked, were we living, breathing ballet? It was Many, many things. My brother was really good at hip hop and stuff, and lyrical, and like all like the so you think you can dance style stuff. Mm. And he's close with a lot of the people that have been successful with that from the early the beginnings of that. But so he was like going to go that way, and he's going to be like an LA dancer or like in musicals or something. And and I was focused in ballet, but my mom like knew enough to know like you should still try to work on the other forms of dance as well. And ballet can. If you focus only on it, it can be very kind of can make you a little stiff mm. in your movement because you're being so rigorous. Right. And so I, until I left for SAB, my mom made me go take a tap class and a jazz class every week, in addition to all of the ballet. Just with my older old teachers. I wherever they were teaching in Utah at that time I would go and take their class.
0: This is jumping around a bit now, but since we're on the subject yeah. when you got the opportunity to go to Broadway with on the town. Obviously the role was very balletic, which is why you were doing it. But was it this sort of return to the the jazz-ish classes that you had done as a kid? How did that feel? You no,
1: know, I never like got to the age where you put on heels and do like Broadway style dancing. So that is not like I was doing more like classical jazz, lyrical right, stuff. Right. And so like my teacher was Was she in Footloose? Yeah. She's in, like, my jazz teacher was, like, in one scene in Footloose. She's, like, in the bathroom putting on lipstick. Like, in one scene when he starts dancing. So, like, that kind of jazz and stuff. Never, like, the Broadway-style dancing. And even when I tapped, I didn't have heels on. So that was the big transformation I had to make. I did not know how to dance in heels and how to hold your body. You really have to like sit into your joints and sit into your hips, which is the opposite of ballet. You're pulling up and out the whole time. So that was um, something I just had to learn from all of the girls in the ensemble. Like I would look at one girl that like could get it. And there was one girl, she was more ballet based, but she was a phenomenal, like she could just do pin up sexy kind of posing and dancing and I was like I need you to
0: show me how to be (laughs) (laughs) centuries." that's amazing wow you would never think that you know I look at ballet dancers on point and you hear the horror stories about the what it does to your feet and just like how horrible it is but as someone who's danced for years in character shoes I would never think that that would be like a barrier to entry for anyone but apparently it's oh yeah
1: i was having to run and jump into you know my partner's arms and like i was running in the heels it was just crazy and also like i would prefer to do many many things on point than on demi point like shanae turns and like I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff I would like prefer to do on point. It, you have less friction against the floor when you're up all the way. So some things are actually easier. So I don't think of point shoes as being a horror story kind of part of my life. It's, I, I think that's why at 12 you make the decision. Is this something I can continue to work on? But do point shoes make me want to cry? Or do they make me happy? And they made me happy. And my teacher said that I put my point shoes on for the first time. It was like they'd always been on my legs. Like they were part of my body. Wow. So I think you either understand that way of holding yourself or it feels really awful and, you know, you don't do it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And so then when you got to SAB, this, you know, feeder school for City Ballet, what what was that transition like? I mean, you were so young, and being away from home and then it's it's this super competitive environment did you feel the competition always or were you just sort of like oh my friends are here and it feels like summer camp
1: no 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 I was in I was very aware when I first arrived I I they put me in the highest level but I felt like I I was just learning their stuff and their technique and the how they do really fast petite leg round? They don't even teach what to do with your arms. And I was like, where do I put my arms? And just like all of the things. and, And doing all of class in pointe shoes was new. And so I just, I was soaking it up like a sponge. I came in super, super focused from day one. And I knew I was very aware of what I was not measuring up with. And every time, you know, you always go in like two or three groups. If I wasn't in the group that was going, I was in the back marking my arms, figuring out how to find a better balance for that combination, like working towards what we were doing in the back. I was not just watching. It was like constant focus. I remember I really, really loved class. You know, it's like probably lots of people that you interview say, like you have to love the process. And I really, really liked focus and that work so from the minute I arrived it was about the, the dancing I made great friends along the way when I first arrived that summer I found I heard people were like oh I hope I get asked to stay the year and I'm like what people leave before they're done with high school and they like go live here like this is crazy I thought they were crazy and then by the end of the five weeks I was like hoping that they asked me too And they did, but my mom, like, this was news to her as well. We'd never even known this was a thing. And so she was like, okay, well, that's kind of crazy. Let's think about it. And we kind of came home and reevaluated. She's like, you have to get good grades. And you're, what, 14 at this age? I was 15. Okay. Yeah, come home, get good grades, do – yeah, I just turned 15. So I had my sophomore year of high school ahead of me. And so she's like, get good grades, you know – and see if this is something that you still wanna do after one more year. And also we were like, let's maximize every possibility at home before we go and make this big move, which seems pretty major. So that year I came home and we kind of saw, like I was at the top of my class. There was, I kind of maximized all my options with people to look up to, not necessarily my teachers, but like the people around me and the talent around me. And I, was dance, I danced that year as a trainee with Ballet West. So I would, when they were in season, I would leave high school at 11. My mom would pick me up and drop me off at like the light rail station. And I would take it up to downtown Salt Lake and get off and go join Ballet West in rehearsals. And then I would have to go to school the next morning like an hour earlier than everybody else to meet with my teachers and find out what I missed. And nobody like held my hand through it or taught me exactly, which like, this is the information that you missed. I did a lot of my stuff, like self-taught, like all of my math classes and stuff, which is like my favorite thing. But like, it's always been my thing that I've juggled it with ballet, even since I was in high school. So I have, I do a lot of like textbook teaching, you know, it was like, I was homeschooling myself, even though I was still in the school environment.
0: Wow. Talk to me about math being your favorite thing. You know, you don't often think that the stereotype is like the artist is creative, English major. That's what I was, certainly, and I've always had the most trouble with math. But it's interesting to me, ballet is very rigid. Math is very rigid. Do you connect those things in your brain? I do.
1: I do. There's actually a lot of ballet dancers that like math. Tyler Peck, like she's not super academic, but like if she had a choice, she would choose math. I know a lot of younger dancers that math is their thing. So that's kind of interesting. I don't know if it's like the problem solving slash discipline aspect of it. When you're in a ballet class, as opposed to other dancing, other dancing is more like remembering sequence and like connecting that movement, whether it's tap or jazz or whatever. Ballet is really like you're trying to get on your leg. You're trying to get your leg as high as possible. You're trying to do as many turns as possible or balance or try to make something. You're working towards this ideal idealism. And so it's constant problem solving mm-hmm. and self-analyzing of what it feels like in your body and trying to make it happen what they're asking of you. And that that's a lot of problem solving, I think. And similar to to math for sure, and also, like, one, I always really loved it. I think, like, I have a grandmother or a great-grandmother who was, like, graduated from Cal Berkeley with a math degree, like, way back in the day. Like, I think she was one of the first women to graduate from there. But, so it's, like, in my blood, I know, but it's also, like, something that's really easy to juggle with a rehearsal schedule. Mm. Because you can, you know, I find, like, reading, you know, big books or textbooks or whatever, or novels, or writing a long paper takes a much longer train of thought in much more long, longer, like Spirit. moments of time yeah. that you want to focus on. Yeah. And whereas like working on math, you're like, okay, I got the concept. Let's try it out with this problem. And you're like, okay, I got to run I got to go to rehearsal. That took 15 minutes. And then I would come back and okay, I've tried again doing this other problem. So I just always have my books out in my dressing room and I, I found that fun it would like basically it's like coming back after rehearsal like you have to rest your body so it's just like part of the dancer job is to like have moments of downtime and I would just be doing my little puzzles
0: yeah so you went back and got a math degree from Fordham in undergrad when did you do that and is that something that most dancers on your track do or was that sort of unique no,
1: not when I started it was more of, it was the rare thing happening. Like not everybody was into that. It was the rare person that was getting an actual degree. And b- then by that time I was doing it and, and maybe like towards the end of me working on it, it took 15 years by the way, which is longer than you're in kindergarten through 12th grade for. I realized that after I graduated and I felt a little embarrassed. As I got towards the end of my degree, Fordham was really starting to work more and more and like, make this relationship with New York City Ballet. I mean, we're right across the street from each other at their Lincoln Center campus. So it was, you know, and oftentimes, like, the class you would take is Monday night. That's our day off. And you take a 6 to 9 o'clock class. And then as you get further and further into your degree, you kind of maybe squeeze in a morning class before company class. And then I was like, well, I'm going to have to take some classes that conflict with my work schedule. So I was taking, like, A lot of times I was taking a class two days a week, like maybe the first, maybe it was like a Monday morning and a Thursday morning. So Thursday was conflicting with work and I would sometimes miss company class and just come in and warm myself up in 15 minutes and then go dance, which is not ideal, but it worked. And I don't know, somehow the multitasking of it gave me more energy than than took away. Why was it important to you to do I actually found it because I needed something to kind of support me on during the downtimes in the ballet. So mm. I got promoted incredibly early and I hadn't yet been in the company enough to acquire enough repertoire where it was like, oh, well, these ballets are coming up. I'll do this, 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 and this because I've done them before. It was like, I don't even know. I've never done anything, any of these things before and I have the rank of a principal so I can't do any of the core ballets or any of the soloist roles. So I was just like waiting for principal rep to come my way. And so I was having a lot of years where I felt like I wasn't being used at the beginning. Maybe, you know, it was like a five year period where I felt like a little bit, you know, emotional looking at the rehearsal schedule or the mm-hmm. performance casting, like wanting to see my name up there and it wasn't. So. My mom was like, just always reminding me, you know, you love school. Why don't you do this in your free time? And if you're so, the kind of idea was if I'm busy at work, then I'll figure out a way to do it all at the same time, and which I kind of thrive on. And if you're not busy at work, you can really dive into it. And so it ended up being kind of like a life vest in that kind of world, it kind of kept me afloat while I was in this competitive environment, you know, I, and having hopes for myself, it just, it took the pressure off the ballet. And even if then I had something hard coming up, I didn't have time, endless time during the day to obsess over that moment mm. of stressful show coming up. It was like, well, I got to focus on my schoolwork and I'll just do this. And so it gave me structure.
0: Yeah. Yeah talk to me. I mean, I'm so fascinated coming from the theater world where, you know, everything is an audition. Like there are very few repertory companies. There's like Steppenwolf. Wouldn't that be amazing? I've always been jealous of the ballet world for that reason. But then you read these stories that are like, oh my gosh, the competition within the company is so fierce, but then you still, you're still in the company. So I'm, fascinated about those dynamics so it's like you You get get promoted which is amazing but then there's still this competition about like who gets what roles and who gets to even perform what roles and on what nights which was sort of mind-blowing so talk to me more about how all that works
1: yeah I mean I totally appreciate this too because when I left Broadway all of my actor friends in On the Town were like so jealous like Tony Yazbek he was like I wish I had a repertory company to go back to. <laughs> it's like they were all just like, wah, wah, what's the next job? And it's such a hustle. And I've just gained so much respect for Broadway actors and actors in general because you are you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. And since I was 17, I've had a steady paycheck. So that's just, you know, it gives you a little more... Support to kind of like live and breathe in that and not feel like you're constantly trying to survive. So that's really really nice There are downsides to it I mean the one thing when I I, I can really speak to this because I've had both experiences when I came to the Broadway world and did on the town it was really refreshing because I was like, oh wait the competitive part is over the audition is over we're all now coming in this knowing what our role is, what the expectations are of us. And nobody in the ensemble is like vying for a bigger part because they came in as an ensemble member and signed that contract. So just like everybody kind of was at peace. You entered in with this, you signed a contract, you know what they wanted of you. There's no more of that internal struggle to advance. And, until you maybe audition for the next job. And so that was like a real relief and it ended up making the experience a lot more of like a family. And like if someone would go on and fill in for a part for someone, it was like the whole group was supportive and like rooting them on. And I just also recognize when you have that hustle for each job, you don't take it for granted. So even though it can be monoton- monotonous on Broadway, Every show, I remember that Jay Armstrong Johnson, one day on stage, he, I don't know, it was like, you know, number six or seven show of the week, and we were all tired. He was like, you guys, we're on Broadway. And I was like, yeah. Like, it's just that kind of spirit constantly. Yeah. Being grateful that we're even lucky that we got to Broadway, this show. We're lucky that it's going as long as it is, you know, they can open and close in the same week if they get bad reviews. So it was just like constant exercise and gratefulness. And then I would go back to the ballet and take company class here and there. I couldn't do it much because I was just so tired. And my brother and I were both doing Broadway at the time. We were in this one class back with the company. And we like were talking to each other in the back. And we were like, does everybody seem miserable? What is going <laughs> on here? It's such a different like intensity of perfectionism and focus and constant editing yourself and work at the ballet and at the same time there's this like jaded feeling because you're like well I have this job it's not going anywhere Mm -hmm. why aren't they giving me this or that so there's a bit of that in involved too so I don't know I while Broadway has this exhausting effort constantly to place yourself in a new company there's something that you know keeps that you know spirit alive of of the artist like you're not expecting things to be handed to you on a silver platter Mm. and just constant gratefulness and I really was like I'm never gonna give lose that you know Mm. I'm never going to forget that that we're lucky to have this job and we're lucky to have this opportunity to perform tonight and not like oh, my life is so hard. They want me to do this ballet. And it can just be a really jaded world at the ballet because mm. everyone's had their job since they were 17. Oh.
0: It, talk to me like I'm five because something you said really interested in me, but this may be like obvious to people working who've worked in the ballet forever. So when, a sh- when they announce they're going to do a ballet, like let's say they announce Swan Lake or whatever it is, they don't cast it immediately, so you rehearse it sort of vying for different roles. What did you mean by that? No, no. Okay, so
1: when we start a rehearsal period before, you know, like, we know what ballets are going a year in advance. That's announced to the public. And, like, ABT, they, American Ballet Theater, they announce their casting way, way ahead of time because they are more kind of star-based, like... People are coming to see specific dancers. And we're more like everybody in this company is something you should want to see. And this is like more of a constant team effort. And it's about the ballets, not the dancers. So when the rehearsal period comes up is like the first time that you know if you're going to be involved in something. And you just see your name on the rehearsal schedule. And you're like, oh, cool they're having me do this, that's exciting, and you show up, and you're most often, if you're learning something, you're going to perform it. When you're younger, there's lots of learning and understudying before you do I did not have that, because I got, I, I, I had most of my career with this older, shorter guy that needed me as his partner, and he was, like, ready to go. So I kind of just got thrown into it, but more often you're like rehearsing um, in the background while you're watching somebody else and you're learning from their from their approach and the and watching them a lot and being in the back of the room and seeing their process and trying it for yourself here and there when you have the space. But so yeah, they like the first time I learned Sugar Plum. I saw my name on the casting. No one told me I was going to learn it. I showed up to rehearsal and we're just we worked on it for this is the most I've ever rehearsed anything. Six weeks, an hour a day. And then and then they cast me in the third week of Nutcracker and I did two sugar plums that season Hmm. out of fifty shows. But I don't know. Usually our ballets go like four times. So usually there's two casts. If it's a full length, there's usually six casts because there's two weeks of shows and you would not wanna have anybody do more than two or three full-length ballets in a matter of a couple of weeks because it just takes a lot on your body.
0: So, yeah, did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. It's just so – it just couldn't be more different from I the casting process I in theater.
1: And then I should say two weeks before that performance happens, that the beginning of the week on Tuesday is when casting goes up. So, like, t- tomorrow we'll have casting – for for two weeks from now, Mm -hmm. which is the last week of our spring season. And I'm hoping to be back on stage dancing. I'm going to tell them I'm available. I don't know what's going to be when it comes out tomorrow, if they're going to put my name down or if they're going to be like, well, I mean, if at this point in my career, if I tell them I'm ready to dance, they'll put me out there. But you don't get to decide what day or what, you know, in what manner, maybe you do all your shows in a row, maybe you have some time in between. Like, right. There's always that, like a little bit like hoping for the, sh- the, the day of the week that you want. You right. Know, lots of people like doing matinees and if their one show falls on a matinee, it's a real
0: bummer. <laughs> do you guys have your own agents and managers or is it just the union? We have a union. If you do a lot
1: of outside work, you have a manager for the most part. Most people don't, I, I would say a lot of the principal women have managers or ag- agents just for outside stuff that they do, but it's not even necessary. You can get gigs and galas without that. Right. So I have a manager cause I did Cole Hawn endorsements for many years mm-hmm. and also worked with her for on the town. Like that was the first time they were, the director, John was like, so do you have an agent or who do we, like, we're giving you the role, <laughs> like how do we negotiate right. this? And I was like scrambling that night to like find someone, and so we're not used to that. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it's so it couldn't be more different in that way. Is there? Is there? A, I mean, obviously, City Ballet is known for Balanchine. Are those the ballets that you gravitate towards? Is that the style you gravitate towards of of the newer yeah. stuff? Are there certain choreographers or styles you gravitate towards?
1: I love working with Alexei Ratmansky,
0: but I I consider
1: myself a classical Balanchine dancer, so I think there's neoclassical Balanchine dancers and classical Balanchine dancers, and I, I mean, I could do something neoclassical, and I, I have on occasion, but, you know, I've never been an agon, I've never done a principal role in Symphony in Three, I've, I'm not cast, I'm never, I've never been in Four Temperaments mm. as a principal, so I'm not cast in, like, leotard ballets, I, I say, they cast me in leotard ballets with a skirt on, like, I do square dance, I do duo. Right. Concertant, but I don't do, I do Apollo, but I don't do just leotard ballets. Like it's kind of a short thing. Like it's usually like the longer, leggier dancers. And then I really specialize. I also, in addition to wearing leotards and skirts, they cast me in peasant dresses and tutus. So that's my genre. And, and usually it's something involving fifth position and the most technical kinds of elements. I'm, I like to do different stuff. I think if you can do the hard technical stuff of classical ballet, you can do the modern and more contemporary stuff. But it's few and far between that you find a choreographer that understands that and appreciates mm-hmm. that actually being really classical takes a lot of coordination. I've only had like one choreographer that really saw me do something super classical and was like, oh, she can do my weird movement. Yeah. So it's, you kind of get boxed in sometimes. And that's okay. I mean, I want to also do what I'm good at. So I really, I really only want to do things that people see me doing. I don't, I've not been a person that's like, put me in this and that and that, hoping that they see me that way. It's not really how my career has been. But Alexei Ratmansky has a great appreciation for Balanchine, but he has also own interesting dynamic and way of moving. And I just, he's this like lovable genius. I just love him so much. And just, he always you know, I was not in the room with Balanchine or Jerry Robbins, but I get to be in the room with Alexei. And so that's a pleasure for me to be there seeing someone with a vision, trying to get a dancer to do a certain kind of movement. He's very particular and specific. And he always makes you a better dancer when you work with him. And that's the kind of choreographer I like working for. He cares about your journey as well. And I think there's some choreographers that Are super focused on their product, and you're just a conduit for it. And please do my ballet well. And Alexei, he's a director, you know? Mm -hmm. He used to be the director of the Bolshoi. Like, he is, he cares about the dancer too.
0: You've had this long, rich career that is gonna keep going. Where do you, if you take sort of a bird's eye view, where do you think ballet is moving? In the future? I mean, I think that we
1: have to really embrace a more digital experience.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I think that it's something everyone's afraid to do because it's about the live performance. But a lot of the people in my company, even my generation, they knew about New York City Ballet because there were these Balanchine Celebration VHS tapes. Right. And they were like, oh, Agon. And you know, Four T's or Stars and Stripes. That's not how I found out about New York City Ballet. But like, I just kind of don't understand why we keep it such a secret. And like, I don't think it should be this like country club type of experience. And they are very much aware that like, we call them white hairs, you know, in the audience, like our audience is aging. And so we have like a young patron's you know, group where it's, I don't know if it's like under 35 or something and donating a certain amount to the company, you get to go up to all these events with the dancers and stuff. And they're working on that. But, you know, I just think maybe it's because I'm in some digital media classes right now on Stern. But I just feel like if you're not going to get on that, you know, bullet train of social media, you're gonna miss an opportunity. I wouldn't say anyone's doing it more than anyone else. The whole industry is slow to pick up on it. During the pandemic, we, you know, begrudgingly joined this marquee TV and put our nutcracker out there in a way that you could watch it, like almost like a pay-per-view kind of thing. Right. And they're just so, it's, it's it's an industry that's based on traditions and such reverence for the past that it's really hard to move into the future but I just, like, imagine, like, how many, how much more talent you would have if we embraced all that social media has to offer. All that lives, not necessarily live streaming, but, like, streaming in general. I don't want to, I've done a live streaming, two live streaming performances, and they were the most terrifying things. They were, I, really? I was a sugarplum, I was a sugar plum fairy. It was 2011, and It was two nights in a row. One night was being filmed for PBS and it was live from Lincoln Center. So we do stuff like that, you know, but very rarely. And then the next night was, they were filming it again to be streamed in movie theaters around the world. And yeah, my grandparents like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it gets to audiences that, you know, would never be able to travel to New York and see this like exclusive thing. And so it's incredible. And it's something I'm very proud of. And the whole performance is now on YouTube. You know, you can see it. But those nights were the most stressful I've ever perf- I've felt performing. Because, first of all, it's like Sugar Plum Fairy. It's so iconic. Even if you're not, like, into New York City ballet. You know, you do doing that cracker at home. You know what the Sugar Plum Fairy is supposed to do. And it's just so iconic. So I felt a lot of pressure in, in that sense. But also, like... If I mess up on stage on a regular basis in my regular scenario at the theater in a live performance for the audience that's paid for a seat in that theater, no one can rewind and watch me mess up again. So that idea is, I think that's kind of where we're all tentative, at least as dancers. I don't know, I, just, I think we should be okay with seeing live recordings of dance more. I think that's okay. And we really are super quiet about, especially in New York City Ballet with the Balanchine trust and everything. It's like, it's like they like to keep it a secret. They don't want Balanchine choreography out there in a way where somebody's going to copy it and not pay for the rights for it, or they're going to do it improperly. But who better to send the message out of Balanchine than New York City Ballet dancers? That's my, my feel. So I, I think that we have to evolve a little bit and put it out there more. I. Put the good versions out there more. And you can't police the whole internet, but like, at least put the New York City Ballet versions out there so people know what they are. I, I just feel like it's weird that we keep it a secret.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and theater is slightly better, but I think only slightly. I have so many friends who got interested in theater because of the PBS VHS of Into the Woods, right. the original cast. And like right. I can't think of other shows that have done something like that in my lifetime besides like clips of the Tony Awards or clips of the Kennedy Center Honors or whatever it is. But like, I don't understand why we're not doing that more. And Broadway gets yeah. so stressed out about, what's it called? You know, people filming illegally in yeah. in shows. Yeah. And I so think... So put a good version out. Right. I think that would be partially solved by putting
1: out... My my dream. I I don't, I don't think I have enough of an entrepreneurial spirit to make this happen. But my dream is that there exists, and it, there are some versions of this. Like Marquis is an example, like a high arts streaming service. Yeah, for it's opera, a good idea. the symphony, ballet, musical theater. Like I don't know. I just like we're it's a world where we're going to be just watching stuff on screens. Like why not put the stuff that's like worthwhile to spend your time, you know, like I let my daughter watch Swan Lake on YouTube as much as she wants, because I think it's great. She can sing that melody at age two. She was singing it. She so yeah. was like, mama, da, da 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 you know, and I was like loving that she knew that melody. I think that's cool. That's better than, you know, whatever, like Dora the Explorer. So <laughs>
0: on a personal level, you know, I I had a younger male dancer on a couple weeks ago. Do you know Barton Cowperthwaite?
1: Yeah, I know Barton. Yeah,
0: I had him on a couple weeks ago and we talked a lot about longevity and how dancers think about the shortness of, potential shortness of their career and like what happens if you're Body gives out, et cetera. How do you think about that issue? And what do you see in your future? Do you see choreography ever? Are you going to do stuff with these math business degrees? What's the future look like for you?
1: God, I wish there was something that just was like this like career, just like out in front of me of all of my things that put together. But I have like some really weird, a weird skill set. Mm. So that's why I went to get my MBA Mostly, well, to keep my options open, I don't want to be beholden to whatever, you know, is like the only ballet job opportunity in front of me when I retire. I want to be able to be like, listen, I'm actually really well educated. I could go work in the for-profit world. And so if this isn't good enough for me, I'm not going to just sit here like – I think it was always very depressing to me that at 40 I would suddenly have to take a huge pay cut as I transitioned into, you know, like, I don't want to just be teaching ballet. If I'm in the ballet world, I want to do something big with it. I want to be a director or an executive director or, you know, work my way up to that somehow. And in the meantime, I'm hoping to get whatever experience I need to, like, get there. So I'm, I'm like thinking about possibly even like just taking a marketing positions after I'm done at Stern and done at the ballet that would be helpful to come back into this industry, you know? And if that took me on a journey away from the ballet world, I'd be fine with that. I think if there's one thing I learned from doing Broadway, it was that I really thrive putting myself in new situations outside of my comfort zone. There, it's scary, but... I, I'm i very curious and I really like learning. And so the idea of staying only in this industry, I feel like I'm not using my full potential. I feel like there's more that I can understand and experience and know about. I'm, I'm just too curious. And, and to, for me to just be a ballet teacher and give back the, you know, this is how you do this step and this is how you do this ballet, I feel like I've spent... 20 years learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. that in my head. I can I can give it out whenever I need, but I want to spend another 20 years meditating on that same information. I want to go learn new information. So,
0: yeah, I think, you know, one of the silver linings of the nature of how intense what you guys do is is that You, ballet dancers are able to have, like, several different lives, kind of, like.
1: Well, you have to, because you have to retire. (laughs)
0: Right,
1: right. You have no choice, honestly. I would love to do the same. I would love to have security like that. Yeah. And and it's been looming over me ever since I was, like, 20 years old, starting my first classes at Fordham. What the hell am I going to do someday? Because I was very, very aware from the very, very beginning, this does not last for forever. And I do not want to peak at 40. How am I going to top this? Yeah. I've really, really been focused on that. And I probably have spent way too much time thinking about it because you can't plan for that kind of thing. You can set yourself up and have opportunities. But you can't know what it's going to be until that moment arises where now I'm finally free and available. I'm not a dancer anymore. And these people are offering me positions. I don't know what that's going to look like. And I've just had to learn the closer I get to that moment to keep all the options open and go with the flow. And also a lot of focus now I'm putting on what am I good at in terms of just being working on a team or, you know, where, where what inspires me? You know, I don't want to be a choreographer. I can put steps together and teach a really good class. I love teaching. I teach at the School of American Ballet every Friday. I teach the oh. second highest level. And I've been teaching there for a long time. And, and just this year, it's like I finally have my own class. And I really love it. And I, I taught through the pandemic. And I was like, I I'm. there's a very maternal part of me that loves teaching. But I, I want to just also do something more than just teaching. And I just have a big curiosity. So, I mean, I could even envision myself. Whatever next job I find out of the ballet world to give me that experience I need to come back and like <laughs> take over the ballet world. I could imagine myself asking for Friday mornings off so that I can always go just for two hours. So I can go and continue to always teach that one class there. That it, it, it does give me something. It's just I don't want it to be my everything. I, I do have a lot of information I want to give back. And I, I'll always be available to share if anyone asks me, but I just, I want to push myself.
0: Yeah, I think that's, you You seem to have a ton of drive and, and all that good stuff, which which I'm familiar with, but it's, as someone like that, it can it can be a curse as well as a blessing. Yeah. Like, unless totally. I'm busy, I'm going to die. Yeah, well,
1: and also at this point, I have three kids. I just want some security.
0: Yeah. You know, I want
1: something that... I enjoy doing It also gives me like time to come home and be with my kids and helps me pay for the cute clothes they want to (laughs) wear.
0: What's it like being a mom and doing all this at the same time? It, you know,
1: I've really taken to it because I'm a multitasker and I've always really wanted to have kids. So it's like Dreams are coming true, and I, I just love watching them experience the world and, and having a front row seat to their ev- those moments of oh my gosh, look at this, mom, look at this. Like I love I love seeing that innocence and that discovery of the world. I will say I might not have injured my ankle recently if I was just in charge of my own self, but it was like we had a three week layoff, and so we're gonna we're going to take our vacation when it works with my husband's schedule. And then it like butted right up against to when we started. And, but it was like the logistics of coordinating everybody, my maintenance needs physically are just kind of not at the forefront. Like I, I'm not like waking, most dancers wake up and they're like, okay, what's happening with my body? What do I need to do today? Do I need to rest it? Do I need to, to make something stronger? What's going on? Does something hurt? Do I need to like figure that out? And I'm waking up and that's the last thing on my mind. Even when I was injured, it was like, I'm like walking around getting little kids bottles of milk and I'm like, I don't know if I can walk on my foot right now today. Like I had days where I was like limping around getting them stuff and I couldn't even sit in and like take stock of what was happening in my body like I normally would. It's just really the back end. So. My injury right now has been a good wake-up call in that I'm not superhuman. I have to really focus and carve out time. And when I say carve out, needs to really, I have to make an effort <laughs> to carve out time to take care of my needs for my job. And it's not selfish, it's my job. It, but it, 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 it's a selfish endeavor, what we're doing. It's like dancers wake up and they just get a focus on themselves. <laughs> and so I have to find a way to still do that. It seems like a selfish thing to be like to my husband. I need to take a bath right now. I need to take an Epsom salt bath right now. <laughs> like, like, no, it's for my muscles. These are just the kinds of, kinds of things dancers are constantly doing. And, and I've got to make a bigger effort than I did before to find that time. So thank God for daycare. I have my Mondays now where, like, I have the whole day free right now. And I'm just going to do me and take care of me. And do some homework for Stern, but... As you should. you know, As you should. It's a a lot, but it's also just... It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done, having kids. I just really love it. And it has heightened what I do as an artist. I feel like I get to teach my daughters about it, at least my toddler right now. She knows what I do, and she knows I go in and I dance, and sometimes she gets to come in and see it. And she is really into it. And she... So I don't need my kids to be dancers, but I love that I do something that's going to have make them at the very least appreciate good music, you know, and understanding that you can feel emotion from something really beautiful. Like she already is like that. And I don't know if it's just like, that's just her as a person, but she listens to like Swan Lake and she feels it. And she knows when the part's scary and she like... She is almost more of an artist than I am. <laughs> I'm a technician. I call myself a technician. But she's like, I did Swan Lake now for the first time since she's been obsessed with it. I did it in the fall, or the, the winter, and in January, February. And I, I appreciated it in a whole new way because literally over the whole pandemic, she was dancing to Swan Lake and like enjoying it and experiencing it. And, and I've always kind of been like, oh, it's got these hard parts or this or that. I see it from this whole other way. And, like, when I went out there, I was, like, trying to experience it with that innocence that my daughter kind of approaches it with. And, yeah, I think it makes you a better artist when you can do that. So it was fun.
0: It's interesting you call yourself a technician because I was going to ask. I mean, I have so much admiration for what you guys do. I can't even believe it because I really think of you all as Olympic athletes, like, truly athletes athletes. But there is also this element of artistry. Do you come down on one end or the other? Or do you think it's like an even 50-50? I would say
1: the beginning of my career was a lot of technical effort and focus. Because that's what you do as a student. And that's why I liked ballet. It was like, oh, there's a wrong and a right. Whereas in like jazz or some other type of mode of dance, it's more up to interpretation, you know? And this is like fifth position, your foot has to be crossed exactly here. This is how you do a passe. This is a bad arabesque. This is a good arabesque. Like there's so many wrongs and rights in ballet, and I liked that. And I got really focused on that. But then once you feel you have such a mastery of that, you can explore more the artistic side. Some people start very artistically and have to work on the technique. But oftentimes you don't get very far that way. So I've enjoyed, you know, now I'm at a point in my career where it's not, like, freaking me out to go on stage. So I'm having more space and capacity to just enjoy those different ways of hearing the music, you know. Before it was, like, how am I going to do this step? And now it's, like, how am I going to experience, like, the texture of this moment, you know. And I don't know. It's, like, this moment has never been done before. How are we going to do it? Like, live in performance you know, yes, you've rehearsed it, but, like, the curtain goes up, and there's a feel in the air, and the the music is live, you know, also, the other thing that's so interesting is that we rehearse to just a piano, and then when you go into the performance, it's this live, like, 60-piece orchestra down there, so it's just, like, it, it brings everything to life, and it's just enjoyable, and it, also, at this point, I know my performing days are numbered, and so I just go and soak it up. Um, thinking who knows when I'll do this again. Each time I, I do a ballet, I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to do this one again or if I ever will, so I'm just going to really enjoy this moment.
0: That's a a beautiful way of looking at it. That's I just want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. I was like, gosh, that sounds hard in terms of this like artistry thinking of it and how do you experience the moment? I assume doing Broadway opened that up for you too, because it was the first time you had to like speak in a show.
1: Oh, I thought you were gonna say it's the first time you did the same thing for a whole year,
0: <laughs> or
1: that—that's that, its own struggle. But yeah, they're actually one and the same. That answer to both the answer to both of those questions is: I would not have been able to enjoy my Broadway experience if I was just in it as a dancer. Mm. If. The fact that I had to be an actor and a singer, which I don't refer to myself as that ever, and find that in me was just moments of exploration on stage live in front of an audience of 1,500 people every night. Like, I'm gonna open my mouth and sing, and I don't know what's gonna come out. And the, the fun, part of it, and the only reason I said yes to this, to to being in this role, was because I was in a singing lesson. So like, when they first asked me to audition for the role, I'm like, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a singer, you know, so, but thank you for thinking of me, and they're like, oh, no, you don't have to be a principal singer, this, you're just in a a singing lesson, so you really can sing however you want, and I was like, okay, (laughs) and I, you know, made best efforts, and there were some nights, though, it was like coming out like a squawk, like, like, some, there was just it wasn't super often, but there were some moments where I didn't like properly support my singing with like the proper breath or way you move your diaphragm. And actually, the way you move your, the way you hold yourself as a ballet dancer is very counterintuitive to the way that you um, are supposed to sing. So it was just this wild experiment every night, and that made it really really fun. I really really enjoyed it.
0: My final question before moving on to a quick ending segment that I do. I ask many actors, dancers, whoever who come on the show the same question. Do you have any advice for wannabe dancers who may be listening?
1: Well, I, this is one thing you didn't mention. I did write a book of advice for younger dancers. It came out last December. It's called The Ballerina Mindset. And it's how, what's the byline? I forget those.
0: I the cannot believe kind of you've is. done all this stuff. It's crazy. It's really
1: like a short read. You know, it's how to stay sane in a competitive environment. That's the the focus of the book. And so kind of all my nuggets of wisdom are in there. It's like 10 life lessons. So the book came about because when I did Broadway, I, I felt like everyone in the Broadway world thought that ballet dancers did like what center stage the movie was. Like they thought that was how we existed. And I was like, people don't get it. And I want to give back and help people understand that. And I just also just felt this like generosity to like give back after having this amazing experience on Broadway. So I started a podcast called ask Megan and I did like a hundred. So episodes where students of ballet and their parents would record in a question and I would record your response. So it sounded like we were talking live, but we weren't. And so that, was something that I did and an editor, a young editor at Penguin was listening to my podcast and it helped, was helping her run a marathon. And she was just a fan of mine from being on Broadway and she didn't know anything about ballet but she just started listening to it. And the things I was saying like helped her in her attempt to train for this marathon. And so she wrote me on Instagram and we met up and we flushed, she was like, I think I have a book here and I think it's really universal advice so we fleshed out like 10 life lessons, experiences that I've had in the ballet world and things I've learned from them and kind of like a book to my younger self.
0: Mm-hmm. I was
1: super, super overwhelmed and stressed when I was a uh, you know, pre-professional like student and when I was new in the company for like the first five years probably. And I am in such a different headspace now and and just I enjoy what I do now, but I've had so many moments where I literally was like... Holding on for your dear life, like so stressed and scared for each performance and not enjoying the moment, you know? So there's chapters on anxiety, how to deal with perfectionism, how to like thrive being different. How do you like capitalize on being unique? And so all my advice is in there. I'm very passionate about giving back that information because I feel like it's a journey that not everyone needs to go through. It's just that there's not much support in the industry. And there's getting to be more mental health support now, but like there wasn't much support at the time for that aspect of it. What the head game and you can't go out there and be your best version of, you know, cause you're rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing when you, and you know this as an actor, when you go out on stage, you want to give, well, as, a, as an actor, you want to give your most, most authentic self, but as a dancer, you want to like give the most perfect version of the re- the best rehearsal you ever did. You want that to be what the audience sees. And that's not an easy thing to just call upon your body and your mind to just in the moment, in this one live moment at 9.30 night on a Thursday, <laughs> just like in this random specific moment in time, do my best version. And so my whole career has been a journey of how how to execute on demand. And that's kind of what my book is about is like the head game around that. How do you execute on demand when the stakes are super high? And that kind of applies to many different jobs. So so that's what my book's about. I, I can't say one piece of advice is more important than the other, except probably uh, a main thing is that I, that's helped me through my life is learning to meditate when I was 30. I do transcendental meditation when I find the time and it's really transformed me. Yeah. The choices I make, the way I can process difficult situations, the way I can process difficult emotions that I feel I can't get rid of and I can't get out of my body. It's like I have this tool. I should go find a minute to myself and regroup and push the reset button. So super valuable.
0: You're the second person in the last three episodes to say that Transcendental Meditation made the biggest difference in their career. Yeah, the I last p- chapter in my book. And the last person who said this was, you, you probably, you may not know her. Her name is Frances Benamou, and she was in this play called Prayer for the French Republic at Manhattan Theater Club this season. Mm-hmm. And I thought she was like, she just won a Lortel Award. So it just goes to show that like, I mean, she's, she's not a dancer. She's not a singer. She does straight theater. It just goes to show that any tools whether it be transcendental meditation or whatever it is yoga whatever it is for whoever or even just therapy help universally in any discipline in my experience I mean I
1: would even say it just helped me be on the right path in life and like finding the right relationship to be in like Mm -hmm. I I feel like it puts you more in tune to the universe and you I and not to be too quirky but like feel like I finally ever since I started doing that have started on the right path that I'm meant to be on Mm -hmm. and things have opened up in this incredible way that didn't feel like they were opening up before because I was like fighting and knocking on doors and then I like kind of stepped back and just like found some inner more inner peace and a a greater capacity to like go with the flow and I don't know if it changes your perspective or just like puts you in the right place at the right time but I did it before I got my Broadway show. And I just feel like ever since then it was like, I mean, everything just like lined up in this this incredible way, personally and professionally. So I could not, you know, I don't do it as regularly now as I used to, but I have it as a tool, you know, one of my many tools now.
0: Sounds like I could have used your book <laughs> in the past. So everyone go uh, purchase it. I think it sounds like a great Yeah, movie. it's a quick read. It's a quick read. I'm so glad more people in these various industries are having conversations about the mental health of it all because it can be really tough. I remember I always, the flip side, I always, because of the auditioning nature of theater, I always found performing so easy just because uh-huh. it's so oh, I'm like... I'm sure. I don't know. It's I don't even really look at the audience. It's just like...
1: Well, because you've now finally gotten through and been accepted but the auditioning
0: I I mean I'm I'm a terrible auditioner I've never oh given an audition that I felt was anywhere close to performance quality or oh my god you gotta start meditating <laughs> maybe I will maybe I will yeah. well I want to end with how I always end which is a segment that I call the thank you five segment I'm sure you recognize it. Do actually do in ballet do they do this like five minutes to places thank you five or is that just a theater thing? They
1: don't say thank you. They just say <laughs> they
0: just process the information. Um they just- say
1: dancers to the stage at, at five our 5 minute call they say dancers to the stage that's
0: what they say so funny well that's what it's named for but it's five rapid fire questions so just answer wow. off the top of your head okay. it, it's it's a lot of favorite questions so if it's too difficult it feels
1: like an acting less like class like exercise
0: it's probably i mean they're probably so burned in my brain that I did it coming <laughs> subconsciously do you have any favorite ballets that you've ever performed
1: I think I'm going to say Coppelia. It's like the first ballet that I did as a young corps member that was like a big, big principal role. I did like four shows in Saratoga that summer, two in one day. It's made a big mark on my career, and I still love doing it. uh, I love that ballet. And it's great to have a full length that you feel fits you so well.
0: It's perfect for you. I remember when I was little, I had – even though – I mean, I did ballet as a kid, but I had this like picture book that was like – a retelling of Coppelia? I don't know. I I was obsessed with it. Second, separately from the ballet, do you have a favorite role that you've performed? Or it can be from Coppelia. Oh, I see. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So the ballet that Susan Stroman choreographed for us, it was called Double Feature. And I was in the part called The Blue Necklace. And it was basically like a Cinderella story. And I was like playing like the ugly stepsister kind of thing. And the story was like, I was not a good dancer, but I stole this necklace. And so the guy thought that I was the good dancer and he grabs me to do a pas de deux with. And it's just me constantly like falling over and screwing up everything and ending on his like shoulder upside down and like sliding across the floor like crazy, like (laughs) in the splits. And he's like dragging me with my arm. and like, I got to do like everything that I am told not to do in ballet. I gotta, like, lock my elbows, lift my shoulders, like... And it was... It's a comedic part, and so I really took to that. I think that's why I like Coppelia, because you get to hear the audience laugh in the second act. So that was, like, such a liberating experience. And, like, truly she choreographed something that the audience loved. So I don't think it'll ever come back, honestly, and I don't think I will ever do it again, but it was... It was a big highlight. I really, I loved, I loved playing so against my type. Like, I was doing theme and variations at the same, in the same kind of season that I was doing this ballet where I was supposed to not be able to know how to dance. So it was like really fun.
0: Oh, that sounds fun. I wish I had seen it. Do you have a craziest backstage story from the ballet or from on the town or whatever it is?
1: Hmm. I mean, like insane ones.
0: Anything going wrong that was particularly fun? So
1: I guess I'm just like a little, you know, like many dancers, a little bit of a control freak. And this is the only thing that's coming to mind. My partner that I used to dance with a lot, he's now retired, Joaquin Deleuze, he's more relaxed (laughs) and multiple times either missed entrances in ballets, not involving me, but one time, like I'm supposed to like step up on the point being partnered by this one guy, and then he's supposed to run out of the wings and come and grab us. And I stepped up to point and he is not there. And I just, I mean, I'm back to the audience and I'm yelling, Joaquin! And he runs from, I don't know how far away he was and like finishes the step. And then like other times, I think cause I knew he was like this, like we would be about to go on stage and I would be like, where is he? I don't see him. And he was like in the first wing, like watching. And he was, you know, getting ready to come around. But I'm like so paranoid. He's not going to be there. I'm backstage screaming, "Walking, walking!" He, he's like, "I'm right here." I'm like, "Okay." But that's probably like the most interesting that I can think of. I the only other thing that comes to mind is like other people's issues. I remember one time when another ballerina was doing Coppelia. I was one of the friends, and she came out of the house with a bloody nose, and she had a, yeah, she had a Kleenex up to her nose. She's supposed to say hi to all of her friends, and we're like, "Oh." Um, it's okay, it's okay. And she's like sniffing up the blood. She's about to do a potada, and she's like holding Kleenex to her nose and she just took that bloody Kleenex, stuffed it down her tutu, and sniffed up blood for the rest of the potada. I don't know how she did. <laughs> it that is a nightmare. That would be like an absolute nightmare. I'd rather my costume fall off than that. Yeah, that's which never happened by the way, either. Oh, actually I had a butt cheek pop out once and i had to just keep dancing. There were no tights either. It was just a leotard kind of ballet. So that 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 i'm a little famous for.
0: I love that. Well, i'm sure the audience enjoyed it even more because of that. On the subject of costumes, do you have a favorite costume you've ever worn?
1: I would say, you know, it's the theme and variations tutu. It fits like a glove, which not tutus don't necessarily always fit super comfortable and nice, and it's just like the the fabric is very thin, so you can still do arabesque really easily and probably $10,000. Wow.
0: Yeah. I loved your costumes in On the Town, too. You looked great.
1: Yeah, those are fun. Those are fun.
0: And last question. This is sort of, you can take it in sort of an existential way or a very literal way, which is a ballerina essential.
1: I'm going to say sense of humor.
0: I love that. Because
1: most people don't in the ballet world, (laughs) it's like, you know, lots of tears if something doesn't go well. And I just think that like, to be able to take risks, you have to be able to be okay with it not going great. And the more upset you are if something's not going well, the more you're just gonna get stiff in your approach. And so just to be more free with it and like, if it doesn't go well, just to laugh it off. It's easier now that I'm older to say that, but knowing your abilities, having confidence in yourself, that's all gotta be there. But then when it doesn't go well, to be able to just find the humor in it. Because when you really realize it, like, years later it'll be really funny, but let's enjoy it now. Like, that's ridiculous that my butt cheek was out in front of the whole audience. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Great answers. I love that. Megan, this was a pleasure. Is there anything you feel like I've missed or that you want to discuss or anything like that? No,
1: no. I'm sorry. I'm such a talker, so you're going to have to edit a lot.
0: <laughs> no, not, not at all. I could talk to you for more hours more and more hours I mean mostly I just want like the tea and the goss but we'll do that separately it's been a pleasure thank you so much thank you listeners as always I have a really exciting episode next week with a playwright so stay tuned for that and have a great week